We are glad to be here this morning. Um, we enjoy being with you as you worship. I don't travel around making comparisons, but I do listen to see if the people in the congregation sing during the songs. And I, I'm kind of adamant about that, that that's the point of singing songs is to sing them. It's not a concert. It's a time for us to praise our God with our voices. And you guys are fantastic at that this morning. It's, it's fun to be with you when you do that. I usually travel with Connie, and you'll figure out pretty quick that she's half the team and the better half of the team. When I travel with Connie, we walk in, and, and she's grinning real big, and she says hi, and people like her, and it works out really well for me. And uh, <laughs> I was, she was with Jason Nightingale learning how to quote scripture. Have you had Jason up here? And and so I was on my own for a Sunday, and so I rock up at a church without any assistance, and I have to find the door and everything by myself. And so I came in, and the guy's back in the, I was early, and the guy's back in the back making coffee. I thought, this, I'm in for that. And so I go to the back, and he says, who are you and why are you here? And I said, well, I'm Don Duty. I'm with the Baptist Network Northwest. And he goes, oh, I know why you're here. He says, you're here to inspect us. And I said, oh, no, I'm an Australian citizen. We don't do that. I, I wouldn't know how to inspect you and figure you all out and check the boxes and say if you're good or you're bad. That's not why I'm here. I, I'm here to worship with you, to fellowship with you, to be an encouragement to you, to have you encourage me. And other than that, we're just going to have a good time. He goes, oh, okay. And so that's why I'm here this morning. And I want you to look in the book with me to the book of Romans, where it talks about this kind of stuff and what we're up to. I'd like to read from Romans 15, the first seven verses. I'd ask you to follow as I read. Romans 15, verse 1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Holy Scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. It is not fair to drop into the 15th chapter of Romans. The book of Romans is a beautiful argument. It makes a point. And to drop into the 15th chapter, you miss the point. So let me back up with you a little bit and catch you up on what happened in the first 14 chapters of the book of Romans. The first eight chapters explain salvation. Takes the time to explain why we need a Savior. Explains our lostness. The problem that our sin creates between us and a holy God. And then after explaining the problem, it offers the solution. And the solution is Jesus Christ. And you get to that eighth chapter and there's that verse that kind of is the watershed divide. The mountaintop. And it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Our sin has been taken away in Christ. 
And then he goes from there and begins to explain how we live in Christ. He talks about the theological struggle of Romans 9, 10, and 11, about what is God doing with Jewish people? Is God really sovereign? Is God really good? Is God really loving? And he reaches out to Jewish and to the other kind of people. There's only two kinds, Jewish and not Jewish. And God wants all men to come to Christ. And that 12th chapter gets real practical. He says, this is how you live for Jesus. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let him have you, all of you. And let him use you like he wants to use you. The 13th chapter, he talks about practical things like, whose idea was it to give us the government that we have? As I travel around, I sit and talk, drink coffee with people and talk with them. Everybody complains about the government. It doesn't do this and it does do that and it shouldn't do this. I don't care what level of government you're, you're on. My father on the phone was complaining about the township government. It's six sections that makes a township or 36 sections. And Government's bad. Then I sit and I listen about the federal government, and it's bad. And then you read Romans 13, and he says, The powers that be are ordained of God. We have the government that God wants to use in our lives. It ain't perfect. You remember that when Paul is writing the Romans, the government there wasn't very kind and merciful and was kind of opposed to Christianity altogether. And he says, the powers that be are ordained of God. That 14th chapter then, as he's talking about how to live practically for Christ, he says, it matters what you eat. Really? He says, it matters where you buy the food you eat. And you know the story, that there were some guys who were selling meat that had been offered as an animal sacrifice in an idol temple. After they had made the sacrifice, they took the meat and took it around back to the discount meat market and sold meat offered to idols for cheap. Well, it's like shopping with a coupon. And who wouldn't do that? And some of the people used to worship in that idol temple. And they knew what kind of wicked things were part of their idol worship. They said, I couldn't never, ever swallow a bite of that fantastic New York strip steak they're selling around back for a dollar. I couldn't do it. It'd be wrong. Somebody else says, meat's meat, buddy. It's just meat. And you buy it cheap, you buy it expensive, I don't care as long as it's tender and tastes right and cooked right. And meat's meat. So he says in that 14th chapter, he says, none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. A message that's contrary to our culture. Our individualistic culture says, I am the boss of me. And you can't say that around your wife, but I am the boss of me. And I can do what I want when I want as long as it's legal and I don't get caught. And I don't have to worry about you. And he says, "Uh uh-uh. Nobody lives to himself. Nobody dies to himself. He says, we are connected. I am speaking to the congregation of an independent Baptist church in a nation that values independence. And I just reminded you of a scriptural truth that says you aren't. You're connected. It matters what happens in your relationship with your brother. He says there that 
our brother is important to us. In verse, 12, verse 2 of the 15th chapter, he says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. He says it matters. You and your brother are connected, and your choices affect his life. Let me give you an example of that in real life terms. I have two granddaughters and one amazing grandson. He's smart, he's tall, he's good looking. All the chicks dig him and he's two years old. And he's, he's a lot of fun. And as his grandfather, I have certain obligations in his life and I'm to teach him things and model things for him. And I want him to learn to like ice cream, like me. And he's got this mother who's a registered nurse, who's smart, really diligent mother and a good mother and a caring mother. And she's not quite helicopter, but close. And so I was with him about a year and a bit ago. And in the evening, I sit down and kick back and usually have a dish of ice cream. I need the calcium. And so I'm, I'm, I'm having my ice cream and I'm holding my grandson and and his mother's watching me like a hawk because she knows my evil heart. And I, I can play the game too. And she had to turn her back once in a while. And so we're watching and we're timing it a little bit. And she goes to turn away and I scoop one for him. And I headed for his mouth. And he's a good guy. And he goes, and she spun around right then and said, no, it's just ice cream. She said, I want him to learn to love the taste of broccoli and cauliflower before he tastes ice cream. I do not want him growing up having an American palate that only likes sweet and fat. He's going to like food. Ooh, okay. Sorry, grandson, because he was wanting some ice cream. I know he was. And she grabbed him up and he went to bed just for that. He get, I, I mess up, he gets punished. And... Um, <laughs> So a few months later, we're with him again, and she decides that we've got to go tent camping to celebrate the 4th of July, as all Americans have to do. I didn't know this, but you have to go tent camping. She had a brand new baby. Claire was three months old, and we're in a tent in the dirt camping with a brand new baby and a year and a half old, and we've got the campfire and all this stuff, and my mother would have freaked out if she'd have been there, but she thinks it's cool to let kids just be kids out in the dirt. And then to celebrate the 4th of July... The only thing you can do is to go for a six-mile hike through the mountains. So you put the kids in the backpack and pack the backpack that has all the stuff that every kid needs for the rest of his life, and <laughs> over the mountain you go. And so we go up one side, down the other, up and down, up and down. Two o'clock in the afternoon, we finally finish this hike, and we come staggering out the end of the trailhead. In God's wisdom, he placed a guy with an ice cream cart right there. So being the... Big spender I am, I said, ice cream for everybody. I'm buying. Got one for me, Connie, my son, his wife, and for my grandson. We sit down, and I'm holding my grandson. I got spoons there, ready to go to work. And I'm watching his mom, and she's giving me this half a smile. And I think, uh, something's wrong. She's supposed to be grumpy with me. She's supposed to say, I don't think so, Don. But she's not. Scoop the ice cream up. Have at it, John. He opens his mouth, puts it in his mouth, grabs both cheeks, does a backflip off the picnic table, and screams on the ground. And I'm going, what happened? And his mother's grinning real big, and she said, he doesn't like ice cream. 
poor guy gets off the ground, recovers, she opens that backpack and pulls out broccoli. Gives him broccoli while I eat my ice cream because his mother made choices for him that were the best for him. Wow, poor kid. He, he's getting over it, but... Uh, <laughs> as brothers in Christ, we're not free to do things that hurt other believers in Christ. We aren't free to make choices that damage other people. We aren't free to make choices that divide us between other people. We aren't free to do those things that would be selfish for us and harmful for them. He said in verse 7, Receive one another, just as Christ received us, for the glory of God. God's reputation is affected by our choices, especially as we relate to our brothers in Christ. We're connected. Here's how that works. You make some choice that's unusual, that's contrary to culture, that's unselfish. And somebody who's not a believer sees it. And they go, why would you do that? And somebody says, I know why. It's because they're Christians. It's a God thing. And God is glorified by the way we relate together. Our choices matter. So we make those choices that are absolutely the best our brothers in Christ to the glory of God because we're connected. The text goes on. We are connected to our brothers and we live in a world in which we are connected to that world. I can list for you the most recent tragedies. Bombs go off in Boston. Fertilizer plant explodes in Texas. Earthquake in China. Tragedies causes you to ask the question, where's God? How can God use this? What's God's purpose? This text explains that. Verse 8, Romans 15, he says, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In answer to the question, where's God? What's God doing? How can God use this? God is fulfilling His purpose, and His purpose is that all men would have the chance to say yes to the gospel. There's some huge concepts covered really quickly in those four quick quotes from the Old Testament. Answers the question, does God care about people who aren't the children of Abraham? Yes. So if He cares about Jewish people, and He cares about people who aren't Jewish, He cares about everybody. And God's purpose and God's plan and the way God's working is that everyone would have the chance to receive Christ and receive forgiveness. Not everybody wants that chance. Some say, no thanks. Some aren't aware of their lostness. Some are honest about their feelings towards God. And they say, I don't want Christ. I don't want a Savior. I don't want His forgiveness. I don't want His 
heaven. You think, wow, that's a choice that some people make. I think everyone should have the chance to choose. They ought to hear the truth about their lostness, the truth about Jesus' sacrifice for them, the truth about the forgiveness we have in Christ. And I pray that those who hear would choose Christ. That's our goal. That's our purpose. That's what God is doing. And that's our hope. He says, you live in a world that looks like it's falling apart, like God doesn't have a plan, but God's working to draw men to himself. You look around, you say, well, this one came to Christ, and that one came to Christ. And you ask the question, how did you hear about Jesus? And when did you come to Christ? And you see that God is at work, and that's our hope. That's our joy. That's our peace. He says, I want you to abound in hope, in verse 13, by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you be those who have understood what God is doing and accepted the payment that Jesus Christ paid on the cross for your sins. And then you have hope. One of my dearest friends in Australia is Clive Townsend. Clive's in his 80s now. Clive and I ride motorcycles together almost once a week, get out and chase around. Clive was an old guy and I wasn't quite as old. I've talked with Clive. We've shared the gospel with Clive. And Clive has chosen not to believe in Jesus Christ up to this point, as far as I know. And that's a hard thing to say to you. To know that somebody would hear the truth, know the truth, and say, ah, not me, not now. And like all other unbelievers, Clive lives his life with hope, lives his life to enjoy what he can enjoy. And every Thursday morning, Clive will make some excuse to leave the house. He's retired. And he'll walk uptown to the newsagent. Like all the rest of the old guys in the newsagent, he'll buy a newspaper, put it on his arm. And he'll talk to the guys there about the weather and about the government and about all the stuff that's important to talk about for old guys. And then he'll... See, when he bought his paper, they gave him some change back. And it'd be wrong to carry that change all the way back home. So he goes over and buys a lottery ticket. 30 years, every Thursday, same numbers. Why would you do that? It's called hope. You see Clyde coming home, paper under his arm, smiling, me and Clive. Just cool. And say, good day, Clive. How you going? Doing good. Got it right here. This is the one. You watch tonight when they pick those numbers. This will be the one. Been playing these numbers for 30 years, and tonight is the night they're going to hit. Stop on by tonight. I'll share some with you. He's never won anything in the lottery. Never. His hope is based on false assumptions, not the truth. In Jesus Christ, we have the truth about who we are, how much God loves us, and that Jesus Christ wants to save us. You ask yourself, what's God doing today? God is working to give people a chance to come to Him for salvation. This morning, if you don't know Christ, I invite you. Stay after the service. Let's talk. Let's talk about your need of a Savior. If you know Jesus, you know you're forgiven. You know that when you move from this life to the next, you go straight to the presence of God. That's your joy. That's your hope. Talk about that. Gossip about that. Tell other people the truth about the hope we have in Christ.
He says, we're connected as two brothers. What I do matters to you. He says, we're connected to what God is doing. It's huge. Our God is at work in our world, and we're part of what he's doing. He says in the rest of the chapter that we're connected church to church. We aren't totally independent. Listen as he describes that from verse 14 of Romans 15. Now I myself, brethren, am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. Not be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as is written, to me was it not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go away of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love and the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God, may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I could summarize a little bit about what's going on there. He's talking about simple, practical things. He says, I have been busy. I have been working in Asia Minor. I have been sharing the gospel primarily with people who are not Jewish, who are Gentiles, and they have been responding. And it's a blast. It's so much fun to see God at work in lives and God at work in hearts and to see people turning towards God. He says, that's, that's fun for me. He says, and I enjoyed working where nobody else was, in a pioneer kind of a way, going where no one else has gone to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He said, here's how it worked out. Shared the good news with Gentiles. They heard, they understood, they believed, they became believers in Jesus Christ. And then they responded like Christians to their brother's needs. The church in Jerusalem was poor, needed some money, needed some help. They'd lost some jobs and things weren't good in the Jerusalem church. So the Gentile church in Asia Minor took an offering for the the Jewish church in Jerusalem. That's huge. That's amazing. That's evidence of a changed heart. Paul said, it's exciting. He said, I am going to be there 
when they hand that check to the leaders of the Jerusalem church. I want to see their faces. I want to hear them silent, stunned into silence by the generosity of... See, the Jewish people called the Gentiles dogs. Here these dogs have come to Christ and love God like you love God, and they love you like God wants you to love them. And here's their gift to you. They put their money where their mouth is. Wow, I want to be there. We're not putting that check in the mail. I'm delivering it in person. But he said, as soon as I get that done, I got plans. He asked them to pray for his plans. Prayed that things in Jerusalem would go well, that he wouldn't get crossways with the people who were persecuting the church in Jerusalem, that he could deliver that gift, minister there a little bit, and then head on to where he really wanted to go. If you know your geography, Israel's on the east end of the Mediterranean Sea, and Spain is on the west end. He said, I'm going to Spain because nobody else has gone yet. And I'm looking forward to being the first to go to Spain. And just like our airplanes go through hubs, all their ships had to go to Rome before they went to Spain. They'd stop in, do the thing, and go on to Rome or to Spain. He says, well, I'll be seeing you. I want you to hear a little bit about the way he talks about his visit. In verse 24, Whenever I journey to Spain... I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my, on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Did you hear what he said? He said, I'm dropping by. I'm going to be in your place. And he kind of assumes they're going to provide him with a place to sleep and something to eat while he's there. He says, I want to enjoy being with you. I want you to enjoy being with me. And that's not an egotistical statement at all. He says, what we have in Christ is fun. And I just enjoy talking with believers and sharing what God has done in my life and hearing what God has done in their lives. And he says, that's going to be a blast. I want to enjoy being with you. And then as though it was as natural as a sunrise, he said, and I know that you'll Help me on my journey. So what does one need on a journey? A cut lunch? Sandwiches? Bottle of water? Boat ticket? Cash in hand? He said, we're on the same team, doing the same thing. And these churches were helping the church in Jerusalem. And your church can help me Go plant a church in Spain. He says, that's normal, that's natural. That's what Christians do. Did you catch his passion? There's no edge in his voice. He says, this is what we love. This is what I love. This is what we're going to do together. As though it was just as natural as it could be. We did not count on our fingers the number of churches we've visited in the last nine months. It's been a few. Kind of develop a little bit of a routine. I do my thing. We dismiss. And I go for lunch to somebody's house, typically. Since I'm a visiting guest, big shot guy, uh, (laughs) usually they don't give me cold cuts on bread. They usually make a pretty nice lunch. And if you ever made a pretty nice lunch, it takes a little time to make a pretty nice lunch. So... 
typically we've got to scurry home and hurry home, and, and the wife is a little bit anxious because, you know, the roast has been in the oven or whatever it is, and, and she wants it to be perfect. And, and so we come to the house, and she and Connie get busy with stuff, which means I'm left talking to the guy. And guys, we just don't talk. And so uh, you <laughs> kind of stand there and, you know, you say, how are you, how are you, and uh, fine, fine, and kind of look at each other a little bit. And the more hands-on he is, the less talking he is. And so if he's a real hands-on guy, we'll be standing there and he'll be 10 minutes and won't say anything. And, and he'll say, you want to see my garage? I said, Cool. You walk into his garage, and immediately you know all about him. You know his passions. You know the things he loves to do. You open that garage door, you look in, and there's this dead animal's head hanging off the wall. I'm real perceptive. I say, do you hunt? And the next thing you know, you get the story about how the head got there and how it used to be alive, and now it's dead, and he caused that, and... And all that goes with that, sometimes you walk in some guy's garage and there'll be some targets you poke arrows into and compound bowl case sitting right there and some arrows sitting there and, and all this stuff. And I'll ask him, you know, you bow hunt? And you get that story. You walk into his garage and you can smell sawdust. You'll see his table saw and his joiner and bandsaw and a few things there and some Always some unfinished projects. And so you ask him, you like wood? And he takes off about, got this chunk of walnut from someplace, going to make this into da-da. You don't have to work on conversation when you're standing in the garage. It just happens. It's, he shares his passion with you. When you sat down with the Apostle Paul in Rome, he said, I'm going to enjoy you because I'm passionate about this stuff. He says, I don't care if you listen. I'm going to talk about it because this is so good. People are saved from their sin through the gospel. And I get to tell them about Jesus. It's good. Don't you think it's good? They go, well, yeah, sure. I think it's good. And you can help me. And he's now talking about their back pockets and them giving their money to help him. And he says, it's so good. Why wouldn't you give to this? Because we're connected as brothers in the gospel, as churches working together for the glory of God and Jesus Christ. He said, that's what we're about. And you walk away from talking to the Apostle Paul and you say, well, I can do that. I can tell somebody about what I'm passionate about. I, I can tell them, Jesus loves me, saved me. I was terrible. I was wicked. I lived like an enemy of God. And he saved me. He can save you. And they can respond like we responded one time and become believers just like we are. He says, that's good stuff. That's our hope. That's our joy. You can have other interests, but let this be your passion, the thing you live for, the good news that matters for eternity. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for what we have in Christ. We thank you that someone came to us and told us the good news. Father, we ask you to use us to tell others. If someone here doesn't know Christ, we pray for that one. We ask that today would be the day they choose him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.